President Obama, in a major speech last night, outlined a fresh new approach to fighting terrorism, more likely to stem the tide of jihad and keep Americans safe. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He was talking crap. You're on your own. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. So we're here. We're here on our new set. With that, we've got the chocolate. If you're not subscribing to this, if you are not subscribing to this podcast and just listening to it, you are missing an entire... It's like living in two dimensions. It's like you're a piece of paper, a flat piece of paper. You're not getting the full glory of what we're doing now. This is this is a set constructed by Will Boring, when this excellent Britain with the chocolate fountains and the dancing girls and the chocolate dancing girls. I mean, this is an amazing thing. So anyway, it's it's very nice, and we've got different cameras and everything. It's getting very fancy around here, and soon we'll be able to have guests and talk to people. It's very exciting. We, the Andrew Clavin Show marches forward. We march on into into the future. Uh, so anyway, until Obama started talking last night, I had a great weekend. Right until the moment he opened his mouth, I was having a great time. And then he started talking, and then the, there was Sunday night football, and it was like, Oh no! The commander in chief is a knucklehead, and the Colts lost. You know, I mean, it's like it's like Indianapolis has no defense, and neither do we. You know, like Ben Ben, Roth, ben Roethlisberger is passing downfield at will, and we're all gonna die. And I'm not you know, one of one of those is probably pretty bad. Probably the all gonna die part. But it was pretty amazing, pretty amazing. I, up until then, however, I was having a great time. We had our party. Everybody was there, right? We have our annual, the annual Claven Christmas tree trimming party in which we, inv we invite people over and then force them to decorate our tree for us so we don't have to. And every year, it's the same thing. Until Lindsay, lovely Lindsay, showed up this year. Every year, it's always the same thing. People come over, they drink my booze, they eat my food, and then we say, like, time to decorate the tree. And they're like, what? Decorate. You know, it's like there's so many people there that if each person hangs one ornament, the tree is done. But instead, Lindsay winds up doing the entire thing while everybody sits around drinking going, yeah, nice job, Lindsay. It's a good job. It's a nice, it's a treat for everybody. But this party, as, as far as I, I shouldn't say it since it's our party, but I feel like it gets better every year. And the reason is we have two, we have two simple rules for this party. First, we only invite people we like, which is, that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that if we don't invite you, we don't like you. It just means if we don't like you, we don't invite you, okay? Because there's some people we like, we don't, we don't invite. But, you know, it's, it's hard to do that with a party. You start thinking, well, we ought to do this, we ought to do that. Our Christmas tree training party, we just don't do it. It's only people we like. That's it, you know? And the other thing is we only invite conservatives. And it's that simple. Now, I have, you know, Shapiro gives me a lot of stick because I have a lot of, I have a lot of left-wing friends. And the reason, you know... <laughs> As you, as you get older, you start to realize that there are very few things that matter. In fact, two things, there are only two things that really matter. And one of them is love, the things you love. And, you know, we're commanded in the Bible to rejoice and all joy comes from love. And the more, the higher quality the things you love, the more joy you get out of them. So I love NFL football. That's a thing of little worth, you know, a thing of moderate worth, and it gives me a moderate amount of joy. But when you love people, you get a lot of joy. So I don't want to give up the friends that I love just because they're idiots politically. And the thing is that, you know, left-wingers, all the left-wingers I know live conservative lives. They, every single one of them, they live conservative. They're family people. They're faithful people. They're people who work hard. They just think we're all trying to make the world a better place, and they think the world will be a better place if they have the opinion that you don't have to live like them to be 
worthwhile. So they work hard, but they don't think you should have to work hard. I live in, I live in L.A., so I mean, I'm, I actually live in a city where there are cars driving around, and you, if you talk to these people, you would like them, probably, the driver of this car, but they have Bernie Sanders bumper stickers on. They're so, they, they think they're socialists. I mean, they're driving around in Mercedes, which they earn by hard work and by keeping their families together. That's how they earn their Mercedes. But they put a Bernie Sanders sticker on the back of their car because they think the world is a better place if they're socialists, okay? And they, they don't, I think they don't think about the consequences. They don't think what socialism is. Socialism is the idea that you go to work, you work hard, you earn money, you know, to make your family secure and give your kids a better life. And then I take your money away and decide what to do with it. That's socialism. Obama is always saying, we need to invest in this and that. You don't need to invest in anything. So Obama doesn't need to invest in any damn thing. He just keeps the, keep us safe, build the roads, pave the roads, and get out of our way. You don't have to. It's not your money. You don't get to invest it. If we took socialism and only applied it to black people, people would understand what socialism is. So we said, from now on, black people are going to work, but we're going to take all their money and decide what to do with it. Okay, so I'm gonna you know maybe make some improvements to Tara, you know, build build the plantation out a little bit. You know, I might take the wife down to Atlanta to get her some more hoop skirts. You know, and suddenly socialists, you know, would be going that's slavery. Yeah, exactly. You know, take the Bernie Sanders bumper sticker off your Mercedes, and then you'll cure the entire thing. So anyway, it was a really good party, and and Shapiro didn't even show up. I mean, I told him, I know, I, I told him this year we're going to skip the sacrifice the Jew part of the Christmas party, but he still didn't show up. So I never got to tell him my Solomon joke. My my brother sent me this Solomon joke that. God, this is almost a biblical, almost right out of the Bible. God comes to Solomon and he says, you have a choice. You can have unending wealth or bottomless wisdom. You can have unending wealth or bottomless wisdom. And Solomon says, I want wisdom. And God says, done. And a moment passes and Solomon says, damn it, I should have taken the money. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> so, so it was a, a great party. And oh, and then, then I got the next morning only a, a little, just a tiny bit hungover. I, my trick is I drink water all evening, and then by the end of the evening, I can join when everybody starts hitting the scotch. I can join in the scotch drinking. So uh, the next day, I went to church. Great sermon. I heard a great. I don't actually go to church for the sermons. I get my theology out of books. But, you know, I'll, I'll listen to the sermon. Sometimes the guy's inspired. And I, I've been shopping around at different churches. It's hard for various reasons I won't go into. It's very hard to find a, a church in L.A. But I've been going to this place sometimes, Bel Air Presbyterian, which is kind of a funny church because I think at least half the people there are in show business. I mean, I think 50% of the people are in the business. And so when the guy gets up and says, you know, you know money and fame are unimportant, the people in the pews are going, What? <laughs> Wait a minute, I, I think I'm in the wrong church. <laughs> I didn't get that memo. When did that happen? You know, So it's like a very Hollywood church. However, there's this guy there, Drew Sams, and he gives good sermons. And yesterday he was just inspired. And he was talking about almost exactly what we were talking about here last week. We were talking about the human imperative to first to transform yourself to move yourself closer within to the image of God in you, and then to impose that image on an uncaring world, on uncaring nature, to, to make order out of chaos. And he gave this brilliant sermon about work and how work was an expression of the image of God within you because it is bringing 
order to chaos. So even if you're folding your laundry, you're bringing order to chaos. If you're telling stories, you're obviously making order out of chaos. If you're doing business, trading people for the thing, giving people the things they, they like for their money and giving them money for things that you want, you know, you're bringing order to chaos. It was an actual brilliant sermon and makes me feel that these ideas, which I already know is the case, these ideas that we're talking about here are bubbling up into the ether because another idea is collapsing. One of the and one of the long-standing ideas of Western civilization is collapsing before our eyes. And that was the other thing that was kind of part of my weekend. Last week was a dispiriting week, I think, for people who care about the concept of truth. It was really a bizarre week for what it said about our culture. And conservatives, when they think of culture, they think that, that we need to win back the culture so we can affect our politics. That's wrong. The only thing that matters is the culture. The culture is who we are. The culture is how we live. Politics is just supposed to facilitate that. It's just supposed to not get in the way. You don't fix the, you don't fix the culture to win an election. You fix the culture because the culture is us. You know, it's everything. And so you fix the culture and you just make sure your elections elect people unlike Obama who don't set fire to the whole thing. And what was going on last week that was so disturbing was the empire of lies was on the march. I think we were actually seeing something. I'll talk about what I think we were seeing because it, it really does lead into Obama's speech, which we have to talk about. The empire of lies, Obama was off pretending to be a superhero fighting the weather. He was Mr., you know, super weatherman. He was going to make the planet a better place by fighting this completely imaginary threat to our way of life. There is no climate change threat to our way of life. The climate will change, and it won't change. It will, will change. It's going to change. And we may have to make adjustments when it changes. Nothing we do is going to have any effect on that. And so he's off playing, playing make-believe hero. And meanwhile, the jihadis are just like laying waste to our civilization. You know, we're getting shot in America, in Paris, in the centers of culture by a group that has a plan to take down Western culture. Now, that doesn't mean they can. They're barbarians. I think we'll destroy them. I think we are going to destroy them. But we have to fight back and we have to speak. So, finally, finally, getting the message that people were just a little bit annoyed about being blown away, you know, by people who hate us because we're free. Obama decides, oh, I guess I have to make a speech to those peons and, you know, say something to keep the, keep the hoi polloi from getting, you know, out of, out of hand. So he made a speech. I'm not going to talk too much about the substantive part of the speech, the stuff about how we're fighting jihad, except to say, there are guys who know a lot more about this than I do, but except to say that there was nothing to it. Uh, this, the stuff that he's, do, he's going to continue doing what he's been doing, which is virtually nothing. These bombing sorties that are supposed to be some kind of great, uh, you know, attack on ISIS are really doing nothing. I think it's close to 80% of our bombing sorties come back with their bombs undropped because the rules of engagement that Obama has set, that you can't kill a civilian, that, you know, a piece of shrapnel can't blow by a civilian. Listen, I don't think it's funny that civilians die in war. I think it's terrible that civilians die in war. I think it's terrible that there is war, but there is war. And so 
this, this idea that we're bombing them into submission is just untrue. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. And the idea, oh, well, now our allies are bombing the oil fields. Well, why weren't we doing that immediately? Why wasn't the, that the first thing we did? It's because Obama was protecting the weather. Once again, he was protecting this, you know, he was fighting this imaginary threat to the environment. And he, I, I guess, that's what he said. We didn't want to bomb the oil wells because it was going to be bad for the environment. I think it's bad for the environment to have a lot of dead bodies lying around, too. You know, a lot of dead, dead Westerners, especially. So leave that substantive stuff alone. I want to talk about the cultural stuff, the stuff that kind of continued this meme of dishonesty, this idea that we're supposed to live in lies. So let's play the first cut. Uh, of Obama, this this was supposed to be the hard hitting moment when Obama really told it like it is. Let's let's listen to this. So far, we have no evidence that the killers were directed by a terrorist organization overseas, or that they were part of a broader conspiracy here at home. But it is clear that the two of them have, had gone down the dark path of radicalization, embracing a perverted interpretation of Islam that calls for war against America and the West. They had stockpiled assault weapons, ammunition, and pipe bombs. So this was an act of terrorism designed to kill innocent people. Well, first of all, let me just say the first part of that, the substantive part about this is that we have no proof that they were in touch with a larger organization may well be untrue. Fox News has uh, a, an exclusive report saying the investigation into Wednesday's terror attack in San Bernardino, California, has guided federal investigators in the direction of terror suspects in the Middle East who may have made contact with the shooters. A high-level intelligence source told Fox News late Sunday that investigators are pursuing several lines of inquiry that ties Farouk and Malik to the Middle East, including the possibility that the two's deadly rampage had been financed from overseas. And that's a big question. Where did the tens of thousands of dollars come from that these guys were, you know, did not have that kind of salary that they could just go out and buy this stuff. But the part about this that is, I won't call it offensive because at this point we should not be offended by Obama. We know who he is. It's like you can't be surprised for seven years after a while. But the part that is ridiculous, the part that is ridiculous is that we're supposed to be grateful to this guy for finally coming out and using the word terrorism and Islam. It's like, thank you so much, Mr. President. Thank you so much for dropping these little crumbs of truth on the starving people gathered at your feet. You know, thank you so much for giving us from your high moral estate, from giving us the permission to describe what we see right in front of our eyes. It's like everybody knew this but you, pal. And it's like suddenly you're going to give us permission to say, oh, it's terrorism. We knew. We knew. We knew immediately. We knew when we were looking at it. It's okay for the police to say we need more evidence. But you are the leader of the free world, and we all know, we know we're under attack. We know we're under attack by Islamists, and this idea that he can't even say ISIS, he has to say ISIL, this idea that he's going to school us in what the truth is. And now, because we're all upset about, you know, the whole little getting shots thing that we don't like so much, you know, it's not so much fun to have your head blown off and have your children killed. So the president has descended on wings like an angel on the stage and is going to let us say, yes, yes, all right. If you need to call it by its name, it's terrorism. If you need to admit that it has something to do with Islam, we're going to say it does. Okay, so that's, that's the first thing. That was supposed to be a major concession. That was a, a defeat for the president that he had to speak simple truth. I mean, that's the thing that he has been trying so hard not to do because he sees a far more complex world. All right. 
Now, the next thing. He goes right into, you know, first he, he outlines what we should do. And this is, I think, I think this was the first thing on his list. So let's play the second clip. To begin with, Congress should act to make sure no one on a no-fly list is able to buy a gun. What could possibly be the argument for allowing a terrorist suspect to buy a semi-automatic weapon? This is a matter of national security. We also need to make it harder for people to buy powerful assault weapons, like the ones that were used in San Bernardino. I know there are some who reject any gun safety measures. But the fact is that our intelligence and law enforcement agencies, no matter how effective they are, cannot identify every would-be mass shooter, whether that individual is motivated by ISIL or some other hateful ideology. What we can do, and must do, is make it harder for them to kill. Okay, well this is, I mean, this is just absurd, but it echoes a... New York Times editorial. The New York Times, for the first time since the 1920s, put an editorial on its front page in reaction to the San Bernardino killing, calling for gun bans. In spite of the fact that no gun law would have stopped these guys, and by the way, they didn't buy uh, these automatic weapons. They bought automatic weapons and then adjusted them illegally to make them fire automatically. Plus, they had pipe bombs. No gun law was going to stop them from doing anything. All it would do is deprive, which is what the left has been trying to do, deprive free, decent, honest Americans from protecting themselves. That's all it would do. In fact, if he really cared about the safety of people, he would try and get California to lessen the, uh, the requirements for concealed carry so that people can protect themselves. I mean, if a couple of these people started blasting back, this would have been a much shorter terrorist attack and there would have been two dead instead of 14. You know, so this is just their, their agenda. It's always this agenda and it's dishonest. It's dishonest. But it's also trying to portray something as what it's not. He, he concedes that it's terrorism, concedes that it has to do with Islam, but then goes right back into his agenda. Finally, this last clip is, this to me was genuinely was offensive. Let's listen to this. Muslim Americans are our friends and our neighbors, our co-workers, our sports heroes. And yes, they are our men and women in uniform who are willing to die in defense of our country. We have to remember that. <laughs> I mean, what am I, 10? What, am I 10 years old? Muslim Americans are my friends. Listen, I, I live in L.A. I hunt. In, I hike in the hills. I hike. There are Muslim people up there. I'm not running away from. There's. There is simply no sign. I mean, we have been under attack by Islamists since the turn of the century. Since the attack, and even before, but on our home soil, we were under attack since 9/11. Where has there been? Where have there been terrorist attacks against Islam? Islam? Where has that happened? Nowhere. It, nowhere. I mean, there has been no evidence of this whatsoever, and he's lecturing us as if, as if this were a problem, as if that were the problem. There's only one problem, that the only thing, I, I have no animus against people who are, are Muslim. I have a question about whether this philosophy is causing these people to kill, whether there's something inherent in it, or is it a cancer that's just seeped in from outside? You tell me, but let's talk about it. Let's talk about it openly. If 
Islamists weren't killing people, no one in America except bigots would be having this conversation. If Islamists weren't killing people, we wouldn't be worried about it. So it's like, it's like when I walk down the street and there's a black guy following me, I'm a little more nervous than if there's a white guy following me because black people commit more crimes. I don't think he's committing crimes because he's black. I don't think the color of his skin instantly poisons his brain. That's insane. That's insane. That would be racism. But I think that the facts are the facts. And I have to, I want to stay safe. I don't want to be mugged. So I, I act on the facts. And that's what people are doing when they question Islam, when they think about Islam, when they worry about bringing Islam, Islamic people into America without really vetting them, when they worry about them marrying 16-year-old girls and bringing them over uh, into America. That, you know, this idea that we're not supposed to discriminate of course we're supposed to discriminate. Discriminate means telling the difference between one thing and another. It's the same process that went on, that goes on with sex with the left. The left wants free sex. Everything's great. You have sex with anybody you want. And then when they find out what that means, when they find out that people are abusive, when they find out that people do terrible things to one another, they want to outlaw sex. They want to pass, we need to pass a law. There's got to be a yes means yes law. We have to stop people from having sex. It's the same thing. They want, they don't want people to, to discriminate because they're afraid people will discriminate cruelly or unjustly. But people are capable of discriminating rightly if they have a good moral guide within, in the same way that people are capable of having sex justly and kindly and lovingly if they have a good moral guide within. They want there to be no morality, nothing to restrict them, no moral restrictions, but then when they see what that looks like, it's suddenly like, don't think anything, don't make any discrimination, don't do anything, you know. It's okay. We can make discriminations as long as we cling to our values and our moral guides, and that's what they hate. Just to stop for a minute, to pause for a minute. Well, before I pause for a minute, I have to say that the president's speech reminded me of nothing so much as Mars attacks. When I was a kid, there used to be these playing cards called Mars attacks. I was a little tiny. I, I can't remember how young, how young I was, but you collected these cards, and it told the story of a Martian invader, of a Martian invasion of Earth. And the Martians looked like these big skulls with tremendous brains. And you know how little boys love it when you figure, when you can solve something by figuring it out. Little boys just love this. And the whole thing was the Martians were smarter than us because they had these big brains. But because they had these big brains, they were soft. So if you hit them on the head, you could kill them. And once the, once the Martians, the Americans figured that out, we started to win. And you're going through the cards. You had to collect the cards. You had to put a dime in a machine, and then they would give you the next collection of cards. And you had to get enough of them to put the story together. Anyway, 1996, Tim Burton made this into a movie, and instead of telling the story straight, he used it as a, as a satire. It's a good satire, but it's not a great movie. But if you listen to it, Pierce Brosnan plays this professor, and Jack Nicholson plays the president. And Pierce Brosnan is, keeps trying to make excuses for these Martians. The Martians come down, they look like they're horrifying. They look like skeletons and with these gigantic brains, and all they can say is, ack, ack, ack. Which, when translated, means, you know, we're going to kill all these people. All they do is kill people. That's all they do is kill and try to destroy the earth. And the, Pierce Brosnan keeps saying, I think, you know, we need to understand them. Look at this trailer. It'll give you, it really does give you a taste of it. Professor, what do we know about them? We know they're extremely advanced technologically, which suggests, very rightfully so, that they're peaceful. I suspect they have more to fear from us than we from them. Ladies and gentlemen, the Martian ambassador is going to say a few words. Come on down, Mr. Ambassador. 
That's a Martian. It's gross. My God. Yikes. We all make mistakes, Mr. President. This could be a cultural misunderstanding. <laughs> it could indeed be a cultural misunderstanding. They just, if, you, if you're not listening, if you're not watching, they just take out a ray gun and just blow Congress away. <laughs> it's like they blow up Congress. It could, be, it could be a cultural misunderstanding. And that's what listening to Obama and the left talk about the Islamist war on the West has been like. It's like it could be they have more to fear from us than we do from them. <laughs> it's like a perfect description of the intellectual uh, approach to this. I, I do want to pause in what I'm saying to give some props to Marco Rubio. He was on Fox and made immediate response. He was better than Cruz. He was better than Trump, who was ridiculous. But he just, he, he was knowledgeable, he was on point, and he dissected this speech in two minutes. Let, just listen to his opening statement about it. And nothing that happened in the speech tonight is going to assuage people's fears. First of all, we heard tonight that the same strategy that has brought us to this point is the strategy he is going to continue with. I mean, he honestly believes that there is a coalition fighting against ISIS. This is absurd. There is no such coalition. A lot of countries that have put their names onto a piece of paper. But the reality of it is we continue to conduct very limited air assaults. And you can't just defeat them from an air perspective. And we can talk about that more in this interview, I suppose. Yeah. But if you look beyond that tonight, he, he announced nothing new other than we need gun control, even though it would have done nothing to prevent the attack in California. We need to prevent people on the no-fly list from buying these weapons, even though there are people that work for DHS that are on the no-fly list. And by the way, these individuals that conducted this attack would not have been prevented from accessing their weapons. And then the cynicism, the cynicism tonight to spend a significant amount of time talking about uh, discrimination against Muslims. Where is there widespread evidence that we have a problem in America with discrimination against Muslims? and the refusal to call this for what it is, a war on radical Islam. So I'm very disappointed tonight. I think not only did the president not to make things better tonight, I fear he may have made things worse in the minds of many Americans. That, that was great, and it went on for 15 minutes, and the interview went on with Brett Baer for 15 minutes, and it was excellent. I thought it was Rubio at his absolute best. This is really one of his foreign policy, really one of his strengths. So let me just tell you what I think we're seeing, what I think we were seeing all last week, this entire fantasy world that Obama and the left uh, is creating. What I think we were watching is the death of a bad idea. I think we're watching a bad idea that has been with us really since the French Revolution, but has really risen to prominence since the 60s when postmodernism uh, came into fashion. I think we're watching that idea crumble. You cannot build a house of lies without its collapsing eventually. The Soviet Union learned that, and I think we're learning that here now. There has been a philosophical movement that has said that there is no truth, that there is no morality, and judging from that, going from that, uh, the corollary of that is that all cultures are the same and our culture is only worse than others because it dominates. The fact that we dominate, the very fact that we dominate makes us wrong. And Obama has virtually said that. Of course it would make us wrong if there was no moral difference. If there's no moral difference between one culture and another, it is morally wrong for any culture to dominate any other. My argument and the argument I started to make 
last week and will continue to make this week is that when you have the right idea, it is your responsibility to spread it. When you have the, if you, if you're a tribe and you invent fire, you don't say, I'm not going to give you fire because that's culturally imposing on you. Go ahead and live in the dark. When you discover freedom, you don't uh, put freedom away and you don't throw away the ideas on which freedom stands. Barack Obama keeps saying, you know, we have to get, get rid of those Muslims who are not religiously tolerant, there's nothing to guarantee that a religion is, in, in fact, religiously tolerant at bottom. We need to discriminate. We need to know what we believe and who we are. We're going into a new world, and this is something conservatives have got to come to terms with. Our, our sex lives are not what they were since the invention of birth control, since the invention of uh, penicillin, the use of penicillin to cure a lot of STDs. The morality of sex may remain the same, but the practical morality of sex has changed because what happens when you have sex has changed. War has not is still necessary. We still have to fight wars, but the nature of war has changed, and we have to come to terms with that. A war today, one of the things the left is reacting to so strongly is that a war today could blow the world up, and so they don't want any kind of conflict at all. They're terrified. We have to learn what our ideas are. As their idea collapses, when, a, when a, an idea collapses, you think, well, great, a bad idea is falling apart. It doesn't work that way because people don't want to get rid of their ideas. Barack, everything Barack Obama has grows out of bad ideas. Everything he has, bad ideas about race, bad ideas about government, bad ideas about culture, all have made Barack Obama the most powerful man in America and a, a far greater success than his talent or accomplishments would deserve. So he's not going to let go of those bad ideas, and neither is anyone who has an interest in holding on to leftism. When a bad idea collapses, it's a dangerous moment because people are willing to do extreme things to keep that idea alive. So the empire of lies is on the march. The empire of lies is on the march, and we have to start to decide what it is we want. It's not enough for us to know that we're against the lies. We have to know what the truth is. It's not enough to know what we hate. We have to know what we're for. It's not enough to know what we're against. We have to know what we're trying to build and what we want want the future to look like. It's not going to look like the 1950s. It's not going to look like the past. It's going to look like something new, and we have to start to talk about what that is going to be like. And hopefully as we go forward on The Andrew Claven Show, we will do exactly that. For now, I'm going to end with Stuff I Like, Christmas Stuff I Like, which is a major, major challenge because most of the, there's very little good Christmas stuff. A lot of it is just corny, you know, kind of hallmark, uh, empty tinsel stuff. And the stuff that's good, you've all seen. You know, you've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Great movie. You've seen, the, you know, Christmas cards you've got probably coming out of your ears. I've got one today. I've got one tomorrow, too, that's great. But this one is really, really different. And it's, I know it's for Jay Hay here because it's science fiction. And if you've read this, I'll be really shocked. Have you read a book called The Doomsday Book by Connie Willis? This book is, it's like eating a piece of cake. It was one of the best books. And it's not a, it's not a happy, silly book. It takes place at Christmas. And it's about, it's the first book in a series of books she wrote about time travel. And it's really different, a different idea of time travel. It's really, um, how can I put it, uh, uh, honest, you know, it's really um, deep, it has deep, uh, tragic overtones. It's a Christmas story, but with tragic overtones. And yet she finds her way to a very inspiring 
uplifting idea through this horrible uh, tragedy, this horrible story she tells. It's a wonderfully written book. Unfortunately, I went on uh, Willis's website and she was there with like an Obama tote bag and I thought, oh no, but the book the book is really not a political book. I do believe I do believe she's a Christian. Anyway, stuff I like, the Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. Check it out. We'll be back to talk about this more tomorrow. The Empire of Lies is on the march, and we need to marshal truth to go back against it from our wonderful new set, which you can only see if you subscribe, so you should subscribe. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show.